0: If you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and turn to 1 John chapter 2. And um, about 30 some odd years ago, Arnold Schwarzenegger did a movie called The Terminator. And uh, there's a famous quote in this scene. Does anybody know what he says? That many Christians have seen this movie? Okay, y'all need to, y'all need to repent or something. I'll tell you what. That's right. He said... I'll I'll be back, right? That's it. And uh, we're going to talk for the next nine weeks that Jesus is coming back. Jesus said this about 2,000 years ago. And it's something I don't know why we don't talk about that much. But there's a promise that Jesus made that he's coming back. Uh, and we, we're going to call this the second advent because this last month we talked about the first advent, the advent of Christ. We celebrated Christmas. But Jesus said, I'm coming back. Uh, and, and by the way, the Bible is filled with references To the second coming. Over half the books in the Old Testament speak about the second coming of Christ. Uh, 23 out of 27 books in the New Testament, there are references. There are over 300 New Testament references to the second coming. That's one every 30 verses. So if you read the New Testament, like on our Bible reading plan, you're gonna read 30 verses, Jesus is coming back. 30 verses, Jesus is coming back. 30 verses, It's almost as if the Holy Spirit wants this to be a part of our thinking and our our theology, that Christ is returning. Jesus himself made this promise in John chapter 14. On the night before he went to the cross, he met with his disciples and he said, I'm leaving, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. It's better for you that I go. He said, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, I love that, heaven is, it's, it's home, In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places, many mansions, and if it weren't so, I would have told you, and I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, what are the next four words? I will come again. I will come again. There it is, the direct promise of Jesus saying, I'm coming back so that where I am there, you may be also. And he died on a cross and he rose again from the dead. And 40 days he appeared to his disciples. And then 40 days after his resurrection, he stood on the Mount of Olives with his disciples and they literally watched Jesus fly, float, whatever you want to say, right up into the clouds, standing there as he ascended to heaven, to the right hand of the throne. And as he was going, two angels said to those men, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into the sky? This Jesus whom you have seen taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you have watched him go. He, wa- he left physically in a body. He's coming back physically in a body. Amen. And there are so many references, again, over 300 just in the New Testament that speak of his appearing, his second coming. I'm gonna share one more here in, re- in uh, Hebrews chapter nine. The Bible says, so Christ also, having been offered once for sin, for the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin. I love that for those who eagerly wait him. By the way, our job is to be looking for him, not to be looking for the Antichrist, not to be looking for what's happening in the world, but to keep our eyes on Jesus. He says, look, he'll, he'll, he'll show up a second time without reference to sin because the first time he came, he dealt with sin. They missed it. They were looking for him to establish his kingdom. No, that's the second time. The first time he came as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, when he comes back, he's coming as the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the King of kings, the Lord of the lords, to establish his everlasting kingdom. One more verse, Revelation chapter 1. Of course, the whole book of Revelation is about the end times, the second coming, and all that's going to happen there. And the Bible says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him. And so it is to be. Amen. Do you know the, uh, the early church had a word that they used, that they would say, usually when they said goodbye to another, one another, it was the word Maranatha. It's found in 1 Corinthians 16. Paul wrote, uh, as he closed out his letter, he said Maranatha. They would say, hey, see you later. Maranatha. Bye. Maranatha. And with, it's a common word that's used in Christian Colleges, universities, bookstore, the word Maranatha means he's coming. Have a good one. Remember, he's coming. He's coming. It was always on the mind of the New Testament church, that promise. In fact, Paul himself believed he was going to be alive when Jesus came back. For, for the next nine weeks, we're going to be talking about the second advent and this is not going to be a verse-by-verse study through revelation this is going to be more of a topical uh, series where we just talk about what's going to happen next week we'll talk about some of the signs of the times we're going to talk about the rapture of the church uh, the tribulation period the antichrist uh, the battle of armageddon the second coming of christ in power and glory judgment resurrection the millennial reign of Christ. All of these things, and, and I, I, I love this topic, I love this study of, of uh, last things, but I'll tell you that uh, I don't think I've ever taken so much time on a Sunday morning, I've taught on this on Wednesday nights or Sunday nights before, but never before nine Sundays, because so many times when you start talking about the end times, it just seems that it can be a lot of information. In fact, if you notice this morning, you've got graphs and charts and scriptures and all these things handed to you. And, and that's okay, uh, because teaching on the end times does has, have a lot of information, but the Bible is not just for our information, it is for our transformation. And I want to begin right now up front by saying that my goal over the course of the next two months is not to just give you a lot of information about what's going to happen in the future. Okay? Uh, having information doesn't necessarily mean transformation. The Bible is so clear that knowing that Christ is coming back, the fact that he could come at any time should change the way that we live. It should impact our lives as followers. And there are many ways it, it should impact you. For Let me give you one. I have hope. Yes. Amen. I don't care what's happening in the world. I know who wins. I've read the last pages. Amen? Amen. There's a new heavens. There's a new earth coming. By the way, I also have a peace when I see all the evil that's happening in the world because they're going to be judged. They're going to stand before God, and God is going to judge them. He's going to eradicate evil. When I see the suffering that happens, there's there's going to be a day where there is no suffering. By the way, this reminds me of my purpose, that it's not just about this world, that Christ is coming back. We pray this, your kingdom come, your will be done. Your kingdom is coming. More than anything else, the return of Christ, uh, well, I think, uh, what does it say? Encourage one another day after day, as long as you see the day drawing near, it's drawing near. We should be encouraging one another. But the greatest thing that should happen as a result of the reality of Christ's return is um, that it should change us. I'm going to share with you a verse in First John chapter 2. Um, the rest of the verses I'll be putting on the, on the screen later on, and then at the end we'll turn to Second Peter uh, towards the end of this message. But First uh, John chapter 2, here's what the scripture says, it says, now little children, abide in him. Okay, what does that mean? Keep your relationship with God fresh and fervent and alive today. Okay, why? So that when he appears, when Jesus comes back, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. This verse is particularly meaningful to me because uh, Uh, about 25 years ago, I had a dream. Now most of my dreams are really weird and I don't think they're from God at all. They're probably something I ate or I'm getting older, my subconscious, whatever. 99.9% of my dreams are just weird. This was a dream that I felt like God gave me because I remember this specifically. It was about 25, 26 years ago. In my dream, I was at the IGA grocery store in Ocean Shores and I heard the trumpet and I looked up. And I saw Jesus in the clouds. I don't know what happened to the roof or the ceiling of the IGA grocery store, but it wasn't there. And I looked up, and I knew Jesus was coming, and I went, oh, no, because I wasn't ready at that time in my life. I didn't want Jesus to come at that moment. I shrunk away from him in shame. See, knowing that Christ could come. Listen, I mean, just use your sanctified imagination with me for just a moment. If you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was going to come in 2024, and no, I'm not making predictions. I will not tell you who the Antichrist is. I won't tell you what day or what hour he's going to come because that's not what the Bible tells us to focus on, okay? But if you knew for sure that Jesus was coming this year, would it change anything in your life? I think we'd all have to say yes, it would. It would change. That's, that's the reality, the imminency, the fact that he's coming. Maranatha, be ready, be alert. How many times does Jesus say, don't be asleep, be on the alert. The master's gone away, he's not coming back. We don't, you know, we've, we've got all this time, let's just do whatever we want. No, it's going to happen. And you're like a thief in the night. And you're not going to be ready. There's a warning over and over again. By the way, the return of Christ, the Bible says, is the blessed hope of every believer. It's something we should be looking forward to. The appearing of the great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. So when, I, when, when you think about if Jesus were to actually come back, what feelings does that bring? Now, I know you're in church, so you're all going to say, hallelujah, that's great. We want Jesus to come. But I'm talking real, okay? Because I'll be real with you, there were times as a young man, I was like, man, I I want Jesus to come, but I want to get married first. I want Jesus to come, but I want to have kids first. And then it was, I want Jesus to come before my kids become teenagers. (laughs) That didn't happen. And then it was, I want Jesus to come, but four months from now, we're going to Disney World, so could he come after that? I think when we when we think about the where our hearts are, when we think about the second coming of Christ or the rapture, the appearing of Christ, it reveals to us where our hearts are at. So although our goal is transformation and not just information, we're gonna cover a lot of information. Today is gonna be about a 30 minute trailer. Uh, We're just going to kind of overview this topic, look at what we're going to look at in the upcoming weeks. I am going to give you a lot of information, but again, my goal today and every single week is that this information results in application, transformation, a change in the way that we live, that we begin telling others about Christ, because if this happens in our day, people will be left behind. Now, if you want further study, one of the books I'd recommend is this book by uh, Dr. David Jeremiah, The Book of Signs. It came out about five years ago. It's an excellent book. There are many good books. Please don't go on YouTube and search for this, because people have all kinds of opinions, and they aren't biblical. Uh, if you want to go through the book of Revelation, we taught on that during COVID on a Wednesday night. It's, those are still available. I taught through about 20 messages verse by verse through Revelation. It was just me and a camera and the sound guy. It was during COVID on a Wednesday night. So, uh, but you can't find it on our website. It's on our YouTube channel. If you want to go there and look, uh, you can find it. But today we're going to talk about what the Bible says, okay? Now, some of us have been taught different things. Maybe your background, maybe your denomination, or some teaching says, well, there's no such thing as the rapture, or we're all going to go through the tribulation, or the rapture happens here, or whatever. We're just going to look at what the Word of God says in these next eight weeks together together and and I hope that you'll open your heart up to God's word because God's word is infallible it is without error it is complete by the way you know that this same Bible people say oh there's books missing from the Bible these same 66 books have been in your Bible for over 1650 years the Bible hasn't changed um, and it is it is sufficient it is good for salvation for teaching, correction, training. It answers all the questions, the big questions in life. Why am I here? Where did I come from? What's going to happen when I die? What's my purpose for living? How should I live? And it is authoritative. It is God's inspired Word. The Bible makes the claim that it was written by God. Second Timothy 3 and 2 Peter chapter 1, and so what we're going to do this morning is just start by way of introduction uh, with some information about the Bible and prophecy. The first thing I want to share with you, which you may or may not know, is that the Bible is filled with all kinds of prophecy. The Scripture is filled with prophecy. Now, when we talk about prophecy, prophecy is when something is written at a time, like let's say the, Hebrews, the Hebrew writer of uh, Isaiah uh, wrote in the time period 750, BC, and he wrote about things that would happen in the future, or Jeremiah. They were called prophets because often they would speak forth what God had to say, but they would also speak about what God was going to do in the future. And many of those prophecies had to do with the Messiah, the promise that God said, I'm going to send a Savior. See, if I said to you, hey, I'm, I'm flying into your airport, pick me up, You would be like, okay, where am I going to meet you? How am I going to know who you are? But if I said, I'm going to be standing at such and such place, I'm going to be wearing an orange jumpsuit, I'm going to have spiked blue hair, I'll be riding a zebra carrying a toaster, (laughs) I don't think you would confuse me with anyone else. Are you with me? That's randomly specific. All right. But this is what God did all through the Old Testament. See, it's a historical fact. If you're, if you're new to the Bible, there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. And old doesn't mean let's throw it away. And all the old people said, there we go. Um, old just means it was before Jesus. Jesus showed up and arrived before, right between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it is an absolute historical fact. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, a little bit Aramaic that the Old Testament was written before Jesus ever lived on this earth. Jesus is an authentic person from antiquity. He, there's, there's people that were not believers in Jesus that wrote about him in history. You say, I'm not so sure he exists. We tell time by his arrival, okay? He's, he's a real person. And in the Old Testament, hundred, by the way, the Old Testament was translated into Greek hundreds of years before Jesus arrived. So everything you read in your Old Testament, we know was what was written. In fact, the Dead Sea Scrolls discovered in 1947 confirm that everything we read in the Old Testament is accurate. And there were prophecies made. Isaiah wrote 750 years before. Hey, when the Messiah comes, he's going to be born of a virgin. Micah wrote 600 years. When the Messiah comes, he'll be born in Bethlehem. Zechariah wrote 500 years ahead of time. You know what? You'll see him riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. Isaiah 53, the most probably the most powerful prophetic chapter in all the Bible, says that this Messiah is going to be rejected by his own people, silent before his accusers, that God would kill him for the sins of the world, that he would die between two criminals, they'd cast lots for his clothing, and he'd be buried in a rich man's tomb. And then a thousand years before Jesus was here, the psalmist wrote that they would have his hands and feet pierced surrounded by people staring at him, mocking at him, and he'd be thirsty. Again, these are just five random places. There are literally hundreds of prophecies, not just about the Messiah, but about other things. Isaiah chapter 44, uh, the prophet wrote that one day there would be a king by the name of Cyrus. 150 years before he was born, Isaiah wrote about him. And when the king actually showed up and read a prophecy about His name was in it. He actually tried to fulfill what was written by the Jews. In Daniel chapter 8, Daniel gives us a blow-by-blow breakdown of Alexander the Great's rise to power in Greece. Hundreds of years before it happened. And in Ezekiel 37, the Bible says in the end times the nation of Israel would become a nation again with a mighty army. If you don't know, that happened in 1948. From AD 70 to 1948, that's 1850 years, there was no nation of Israel. Israel became a nation again. And they have a pretty strong army. You might have heard of that. We'll talk about Israel next week. And again, my point this morning is simply this that there's no, this is one of the things that sets Christianity apart from every other sacred writings, supposed sacred writings that are out there. God's Word is batting a thousand for you baseball fans out there, okay? There's nothing compared to it in the world. There's not a single prophecy that God's Word has said. And when every single thing that God's Word has said has come true, then when God says this is going to happen in the future, you can bank on it. And by the way, that leads me to my second point is that the Bible is God's Word. You cannot logically explain away the fact that things were written in advance before they said. Now, for me personally, this is one of the reasons I came to faith. I studied Bible prophecy before I became a Christian. I don't recommend that you start in Revelation if you're, you know, looking into the Bible. But I was that way, and I wanted to know. And I became convinced that the Bible was God's Word because logically, nobody could predict these things in advance with exact accuracy. By the way, we have to have somewhere we go for truth. Please do not trust me. I'm a person. Look in your Bible and make sure that what, the, what I'm saying is the Word of God. Okay? This, is, this is a book that is unlike any other book. There's never been a book written over 1,500 years by 40 different authors. There's never been a book that's sold over $6 billion copies, okay, we're talking about the, the, the it shadows the second best-selling, third best-selling, fourth best-selling book of all time, no comparison. If the New York Times would allow the Bible on their best-selling list, it would win the best New York Times bestseller every single year. Once again, the best-selling book, yep, it's the Bible. There's no other book like it. This book has shaped Western civilization. It's been criticized, been come under attack. People have died for it. It has stood the test of time, even though portions of it are written over 3,000 years ago. It has been authenticated as a work of antiquity. I don't have time to get into this deeply, but when you have old ancient manuscripts of some sort, they, they see how many different copies or fragments are out there. Again, New Testament, there's thousands of copies. There's actually 25,000 fragments. And then they see, okay, we want to know how accurate it is from the time the person wrote to the earliest manuscript, the gap that's in there. And most of these old things have gaps hundreds of years, some over a thousand years. The New Testament, there are portions of the New Testament that have been dated within 30 years of the time they were written. The scripture has been preserved by Hebrew scribes, which was the highest level of people in the Old Testament. When they copied words, you say, well, they didn't have a Xerox machine. They kept making all kinds of mistakes. Well, again, that's what the devil wants you to believe so that you don't trust this book. But if you really investigate how the scribes copied, they copied letter by letter. They counted every word. They counted every center column. I mean, there were like four different scribes that would look at it so that the scriptures would be preserved. They were holy. They were set apart. Science has been discovered based on the Bible. Archaeology, there are over 50 different kings and people from Babylon, uh, Judah, Egypt, Moab, Assyria, Persia that have been discovered in archeological, I can't say that word, people who dig stuff up. (laughs) And one of the greatest testimonies we have is the power. There are people in this room who would stand up all day and testify, this book by the grace of God has changed my life. It has the power to transform, it's a living book. There's no other book like it you don't believe me, just take this book into a public place and open it up. You'll see. Yeah, you're laughing because people are either drawn to it or, right? It's a living book, living and active. And yes, this book reveals so much. It reveals God. We learn about who God is and we learn about who we are. But the main thing I want to do this morning is talk to you that this reveals God's plan. This reveals God's plan. See, we're going to have to go back a little bit today and look in the past because everything we're going to study from this point forward is going to be in the future. But in order to understand the future, it's out of context if you don't understand the big picture. There's a cosmic battle between good and evil, between God and Satan, that has been playing out since before, whenever before. And so what I want to do today (coughs) with the time that I have left is share with you, maybe some of you have never heard of this, maybe some of you this is going to be like, um, you know, grade school review. But I want to take five minutes to just review for you what I like to call, or others have called, God's big story. This is, this is the whole Bible in like five minutes, okay? In four movements, four acts, four parts. And the Bible, because it's important that we understand this, when we come to the end times and we talk about the tribulation and and the day of the Lord and and all these things happening. See, the Bible speaks part one of a God who has always been, has always existed, has always existed exactly as he is now, always will exist. And you say, that sounds confusing. That's because God's bigger than your brain. He's beyond what we can comprehend, and when he spoke, the universe and stars and galaxies came into existence, including the earth, including a place he created on the earth called Eden, which was a paradise, and the highlight of his creation was a man and a woman that were created in his image to reflect his glory with the grand purpose of knowing him and being in fellowship with him and serving him. And by God's design, everything was in perfect harmony. Exactly as it was supposed to be. No pain, no suffering, no sickness, no death. Complete love and acceptance throughout creation. We can see evidence of that design in what is good today. But tragically, something happened. Part two, the fall. See, God gave the first man and woman the freedom to make any decision except for one thing. He said, you shall not eat from a specific tree, but God's enemy, Satan took the form of a serpent and tricked the man and the woman into disobeying God. And the consequences of their actions was devastating. Like a virus, sin entered into the hearts of the man and women and all of creation. Sin, suffering, pain were passed down from generation to generation and all of creation was distorted from its original design. The result is what we see today and what we have seen since that time Wars, poverty, greed, scandals, disease have plagued our world and still do today. But God, in his grace, part three, rescued us. The rescue. For thousands of years, God said, I'm going to send a Savior who's going to rescue mankind. And the Savior was God himself. God became human in the person of Jesus Christ almost 2,000 years ago. And Jesus' life was unique. Born of a virgin, he perfectly enjoyed and obeyed God without sin. And his death on the cross was sufficient as he willingly died to pay for the sins of mankind. Three days later, defeating death where he rose from the dead just as God promised. Forty days later, he ascended to the right hand of the Father where he waits And he reigns as king in heaven. And today the message of grace, love, forgiveness, mercy, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed by his Holy Spirit through his followers, the church. And all who trust in his life, death, and resurrection receive the forgiveness of sins and the promise of eternal life. Now, three parts of this four-part story have already happened. By the way, I love this picture of the life preserver. Because if you're drowning, you don't argue about what color the preserver is. Amen? Amen. Someone throws you life preserver, you say, thank you, Jesus. Well, that's really narrow-minded that Jesus is the only way. Just take it. Just grab the life preserver. God provided a way we could be saved. Step four, act four, phase four, the restoration. God has promised that he will make all things new. A new heavens and a new earth, just as he originally designed, free of sin, evil, suffering, a place of perfect friendship with God, others, no more shattering earthquakes, violent tsunamis, storms plaguing the earth, no more pain, broken hearts, sickness, death, or politicians. I threw that last one in myself. God's original purpose will flourish as those who trust in his rescue will enter into the grand purpose, again, of worshiping him, enjoying fellowship with him and one another forever. But in order for this to happen, evil must be vanquished. See, the Bible speaks over and over again of the fact that one day this world will come under judgment. It's called the Day of the Lord. If you ever read about in your Bible the day of the Lord, that's always referring to this tribulation period. This tribulation period is a time of God's wrath and judgment upon an unbelieving world as well as him dealing with the nation of Israel to bring them through. But Jesus must first return and wipe out evil in order. And by the way, there's something in all of us that long for justice for other people, right? That's why we watch all the murder shows or the cop shows or the, or the good versus evil movies, and we're entertained by these things because we want evil to be punished. And in God's big story, this part of the restoration, here's what's going to happen. Now, inside your bulletin, you might have seen something like this. It's a card that I had made up. On the back side of this, uh, that I'm calling it the back, is Tim LaHaye's uh, plan for the ages from, from his book. I think it's great. That's why I put it on the back because I had space. Uh, the side that looks like this is something that I had made up for me uh, years ago by a woman in my church. Uh, she was terrific and, and designed this for me. And again, what I'm going to show you is just briefly a quick overview of what the Bible says is going to happen. But we're going to dig into the scriptures. Don't just take my word for it. Come back Let's look at what the Bible says, but the scripture says that right now, after Christ died and rose, we live in this time period called the church age, where you and I are supposed to be telling people about Jesus, and people are coming to faith in Christ, and God's kingdom is being built, the bride of Christ. And one day, when the bride is complete, there will be something we refer to as the rapture of the church. Now, if this is the first time you hear of this, this might sound like science fiction, But the Bible teaches that every Christian on the face of the earth, is in in a moment, in a millisecond, all the Christians will disappear. We will be snatched up to heaven. It says in 1 Thessalonians, there's many other places that the Lord will return. We who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the air to meet the Lord. And it says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. This is something that we should be looking forward to, that is a blessed hope, His appearing, that we're taken up into heaven. And by the way, those of you that have young children, I'm pretty sure that your kids are going with you, but we can talk about that later. The rapture of the church is going to take place, and then following that, there's going to be a seven-year period of time that the Scripture speaks or calls a tribulation. It's called the day of the Lord. Again, it's a time of God's judgment upon the earth. Uh, The last three and a half years will be even worse, referred to as the great tribulation, but yet the whole time is going to be a time of terrible suffering and pain. Imagine every Christian, all this influence of good that is here gone at once. The world's going to come together. There's going to be a one-world leader. The Bible refers to him as Antichrist. He has many other names, but he is going to uh, start with a false peace. And the world is going to follow him, and then he's going to show himself for who he really is. Where's the church during the seven years? We're going to be in heaven, uh, standing before the judgment seat of Christ. The Bible says we must all stand up here before the judgment seat of Christ. Each one can be recompensed for the deeds done in the body, whether good or bad. And we're going to be celebrating the marriage supper of the heaven. Excuse me, the marriage supper of heaven, the marriage supper of the Lamb we read about in Revelation 19. At the end of the tribulation, the Bible's very clear, Matthew 24, 29, Jesus will return. And at that point, every eye will see Him. You see, there's technically two comings of Christ. One is actually called an appearing, where we meet the Lord in the air. The second is called the return, or His Christ, where Jesus literally comes back to earth, with the saints. The Bible speaks of him coming back. You can read this in Revelation 19 with a sword out of his mouth. uh, And the armies of heaven will be riding white horses. You will have a front row seat. So will I. If you've never ridden a horse before, it's going to happen one day. I'm not sure how the horse flies from heaven down to earth, but it's going to be fun. And there will be something called the Battle of Armageddon that takes place at that. And, and at the Battle of Armageddon, the Bible teaches that the nations of this world will literally gather together to fight against God. We just read this in Psalm 2 in our Bible reading plan this week. The kings of the earth gathered together to take their stand against the Lord and his Messiah. He who's in the heaven kind of laughs at them. And it talks about kissing the sun or worshiping the sun. Once Evil is judged and destroyed at that point. Satan will be bound for a thousand years. There's a reason for that. We'll talk about it. And for a thousand years, there will be the kingdom of God on earth with Jesus Christ ruling and reigning. And you will be there and I will be there. And we'll talk about why that is going to happen and what's going to happen. The the wolf will, will lie down with the lamb. You've read that before. And the young man sticks his hand into the vipers' den. I'm not exactly sure why he wants to do that either. But it's going to be a transformed world. And again, we'll talk about that in, I don't know, six, seven weeks from now. At the end of the thousand years, Satan will be released, gather together people for one final battle, and he's going to gather people together as number as sand on a seashore. We'll talk about where those people come from. One final battle where they will Satan will be cast into something called the Lake of Fire, where the Antichrist has already been for a thousand years along with his false prophet. Then Hades, those that have died separate from Christ, will be resurrected, stand before something called the Great White Throne Judgment, where they will be searching to see if their name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And then they they will be cast into the Lake of Fire, which is called the Second Death, And we will have a new heavens and a new earth. There we go. Where righteousness dwells. You know, when you read the book of Revelation, we read about all this stuff that's going to happen on earth. The judgment, the wrath of God, these terrible things. And I love that the book ends with John saying, Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Even so, come. Now again, I share this with you this morning, and we're going to look at the Scripture uh, over the course of the next eight weeks. This is not science fiction. This is real. This is what God's Word says is going to happen. And what's important isn't that we have this information, but I'm going to ask you to turn one more place, and that's 2 Peter chapter 3. You're in 1 John chapter 2. Just take a left turn a couple pages earlier. <coughs> 2 Peter 3. 3 and Peter writes beginning in verse 3 know this first of all that there shall come in the last day scoffers or mockers after their own lust saying where's the promise of his coming hey you guys been talking about Jesus coming where is he how come he's not here yet he hasn't been here for a long time is he really coming back and if you skip down to verse 7, he says, <clears throat> am I getting this right? Yeah, but by the word, his present, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment, and ungodly men. In other words, there's going to become a day of judgment. But he says in verse 8, but beloved, do not be ignorant of this one thing, that one day with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. Now, I don't know if that's literal or not. But if heaven's timeline is that a thousand years on earth is one day in heaven, then Jesus only died two days ago. Are you with me? It hasn't been that long. Why is it taking so long for Jesus to come back? Verse nine: The Lord is not slow about His promises; come, some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish but for all to come to repentance do you know what this scripture is saying why is Jesus waiting because he wants more people in heaven he wants more people to get saved he's patiently waiting for the church to continue to reach out and to share the gospel so that more people can come to the knowledge of salvation and heaven can be filled Uh, my first pastor used to say there's a certain number and when that last person gets saved it's like okay that's it go get them you know um, I don't know if that's true or not, but it's a nice thought, you know. Maybe somebody this morning could give their life to Jesus and Jesus and, and God the Father would say to the Son, that was the one, go get them, you know. And I love this because the next verse says, or actually a couple verses, I'll get there. It says, the day of the Lord, again, that's the, the judgment of God, the tribulation parable, come as a thief quickly, don't know when it's going to happen. In which the heavens and the earth will pass away with a roar, the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. This is kind of terrifying. Because these are the words that are used for like nuclear fusion and things like that. We have nuclear weapons that can actually burn the earth up. But here's what the application is. Peter finishes by saying, since all these things are going to happen, what sort of person ought you to be? in holy conduct and godliness. In other words, since you know that Christ is coming back, it should change the way that we live. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day. Don't miss this. Looking for and hastening. Hastening means what? Make it come quicker. How can you and I make the return of Jesus come quicker? By telling people about Jesus. And the, and, and the more the sooner all those people get saved that are supposed to get saved, then the sooner Jesus is going to come. So worship team comes up here this morning. Uh, We're going to have a response time and altar calls we most often do. But I have one more verse I want to share and we'll look at some of these more and more often in future weeks. But over and over Jesus says concerning the return of Christ to the earth that we need to be ready. We need to be on the alert. We need to not just fall asleep. We need to not say, Well, my master's delaying and we're getting busy doing life. And then all of a sudden, he shows up and we don't have oil in the lamp, so to speak. But he says, Be ready. Be ready. And so that's my only question today. Are you ready? And of course, you're in church, so the right answer is yes. But I'm talking in here. If Christ were to come today, are you ready? First of all, if you're here this morning, listen, I don't know, it's, you know, the Lord knows those who are His. But you need to make sure that you've been born again, that you've trusted Christ, that you're a part of the church, because this is serious. You don't want to be left behind when the time comes. Now, I know most of the time we, we, uh, we don't want to scare people into giving their life to Jesus, but hell and judgment are real. God loves you. He took that judgment upon himself so that none of us would have to do that. If you've not trusted in Jesus Christ, God sent his own son to die on a cross and punished his own son for your sins so that you could be forgiven for free. And if you reject that, then there will be consequences. You say, well, I'm just gonna wait till I see a bunch of Christians disappear and then I'll give my life to Jesus. You can do that. But every single person in the tribulation period who is a Christian ends up dying. It's not a not a pleasant thing. Um, if you've not given your life to Christ we're going to have a prayer team up here I think uh, we'll have somebody in the back there as well, someone back by the prayer room if you're more comfortable going that way instead of this way we invite you to come today and to say I, I, wanna, I want Jesus as my Savior and to, and to trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior today. Church family, maybe you just want to come and say I, I got people I know that aren't saved, I want to pray for them Maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit's convicted you that, that there's some things in your life you need to get serious about. I don't know, whatever God's... Maybe you just need to say, I need to start reading this book again so that God can do the work inside of me that needs to be done. I'm going to ask you to stand right now and uh, I'm going to lead us in prayer and whatever God has said to you in this time, we're going to invite you to come to pray. You can kneel at this altar. You can sing, pray where you are. But let's ask God for this series, not to just give us information, but transformation. Father, thank you for the promise of restoration that one day evil will be eradicated and all will be made new. You are a holy God, and there is justice with you. Father, somehow in your great mercy, you took that justice and put it upon your son, Jesus. And I pray today, if there's anyone in the sound of my voice who has not trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that they would open their heart today to receive him, to give their lives to him, to receive that free gift of eternal life and righteousness that is a gift by grace. Father, for the church today, for those of us that know you, I pray that the reality of your coming would change the way we live. Have your way with us now. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. As we sing, as we worship, we invite you to come. We have the promise of your word that Christ is returning and let that promise change us. Let us look for the return and the appearing of Jesus Christ with hope. And let us consider because these things are going to happen, how we live today. Thank you for it's in Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Hey, before you leave, turn to somebody and say, Maranatha.